0: Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast. I'm Andy Hibble, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs.
1: And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. Today we have Daniel B. Griffith with us, and our topic is Effective Practices for Managing Conflict in the Workplace. So we're going to be discussing how to avoid conflict reaching the grievance stage, best practices and mediation in the workplace, and managing workplace conflict. Dan Griffith is an associate faculty member at Indiana University O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, where he teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in negotiations and alternative dispute resolution. He also teaches a mediation practice course at IU Robert McKinney School of Law. He is the principal author of the Conflict Survival Kit, Tools for Resolving Conflict at Work, and the co-author of Supervisor's Survival Kit. He is the director of conflict resolution and dialogue programs at IUPUI. Additionally, Dan has been one of our regular contributors to higher Jobs for the last decade. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: It's great to be here. Glad to be
1: part of this conversation. Well, we are excited to have this conversation. So I'm going to start with referencing a statement that you made from an article that you wrote for us called Seeking Facilitators and Bridge Builders, the Heart of Any Successful Institution. So you summed it up well, saying conflict abounds. The political, cultural, and social landscape seems more fractured by irreconcilable differences in perspectives and values than any time in living memory. Our workplaces, classrooms, and academic environments are no less susceptible to these realities. So, Dan, I'll ask you this. Can conflict be avoided, and is it ever a good thing?
2: Well, again, glad to be part of this conversation to talk with you, Kelly and and Andy. Just uh, thanks again. So there's a lot of thoughts around conflict and whether to be avoided or not. I think the main thing is there's a tendency to avoid it, a tendency to not want to engage, but that's not the healthiest approach. I think in that article, a big part of it was simply the role that a lot of us can play in facilitating good conversation, whether it's conflict related or not, but certainly helping people bridge differences if we choose to take that role. But I think that the main idea here is that We should embrace conflict because we can learn from it. We should see the opportunity to work through to find good outcomes, because conflict often represents the reality that we just have different views, but we also have good things to contribute in whatever we're talking about. And by avoiding sort of shuts that down or suggests that I don't want to confront, I don't feel confident, I don't feel safe. So we need to address those issues so we can address more effectively the conversations and the issues that concern us at whatever level that
0: it is. What would you say are the first signs of impending conflict in the workplace?
2: Well, and again, conflict, it it takes all different forms. There's high-level conflict. There's minor blip kind of things. So I think that's one of the issues. When I think of this is when we see impending conflict, that alone is not a problem. Sometimes we see that because two coworkers are simply not communicating well, But they are trying to communicate they are trying to work it out they're new to one another or they're just uh, having a sort of a bump about what's going on And if i were a manager or a leader and i saw that i would often let that go because they are just working in a healthy fashion to address their conflict but obviously things sort of escalate because uh, personalities get involved attacks innuendos sarcasm uh, or avoidance other kinds of behaviors and seeing it's not effective then I think that's where, uh, you know, at least some suggestions of can I help in the conversation? Can we talk that through? Can I give you some coaching on how to address your colleague? Whatever that might be. I think a lot of issues, though, is we let things linger when early on we could address them in a more productive fashion. So I think, you know, in terms of impending conflict, it's often upon us. And it's because we haven't seen the signs earlier of uh, people not getting along effectively you know moving somewhere between that stage of healthy conflict it's just working it out to a stage of they're not working out anymore they're not communicating as effectively it's affecting our team it's affecting productivity and these sort of things Um, and we're not stepping in and letting that that fester and that's where of course it gets to a place where then we're calling human resources or one party other is looking for external support whatever it might be, if it gets uh, obviously high level of, of escalation. So.
1: so actually, I do want to build on that a little bit more. You referenced something like if a supervisor sees that, a leader sees that, and you know, they might want to step in and say, hey, can I help you with this? What if the employee or the person in the conflict says, no, I don't want your help? You know, They just are totally against trying to work through it. Do you have any advice on how someone should approach that situation?
2: Well, there's different realms of that. So there is the how a supervisor would work with an employee on that. I would always discourage insisting on it, but there might be some good conversations about why they might want to consider a different approach, why what you're offering as their supervisor might be helpful, why that matters. It's like, you may want my help. I would like you to understand the broader impacts here, that um, it does affect your interactions with the team and those sort of things. Obviously, there is a a different level. If someone like me was external and I have a background in human resources or in uh, institutional equity and things like that, it's still a sort of a persuasion to say, you know, I can't quite force you to talk to this person. I can't quite demand it, but I can maybe have some good conversation with you to think about impacts if you don't. The positive things might happen if you do. And the reality is that you have help along the way. So that's, I think, part of it, too, is... Partly they don't want to because they feel they don't have the skills, they don't have the experience, the person they're working with is particularly difficult. So there's an opportunity for a lot of coaching on those situations to address it in that fashion. So again, what can I do to help you go back to your colleague to work it out, just to advise you in different ways? Would it be helpful for me to help in mediation or other sort of responses? What's helpful to you? But I think definitely is maybe what do they need to be equipped to develop their confidence, develop skills before they would go back and work with that if they're willing to.
1: Looking for more conversations in higher ed? We invite you to join the higher ed military community as we discuss issues, best practices from campuses, policies, news, and general trends affecting our institutions and the higher ed military affiliated community. Inspired by the deep commitment to service that veterans and military connected faculty, staff, and leaders have towards the academic community. We at Higher Ed Jobs established Higher Ed Military as a resource for both original and curated news and information, as well as job opportunities from colleges and universities actively recruiting military-connected professionals. Find resources, thought pieces, tools, and other information you need to improve your institution's ability to support this amazing community. Visit us at higheredmilitary.com on Facebook and LinkedIn.
0: In a previous article you've written for Higher Ed Jobs titled, Add Mediator to Your Skill Set." You mentioned the world needs more mediators, and you encourage people to expand their mindset regarding the role they can play to mediate conflict situations in the world around them. How can higher ed professionals expand their mindset? Who is best suited for mediation in the workplace? And who should be involved in mediation?
2: That article really speaks to a lot of what I'm doing these days in terms of the work I'm trying to promote the work I've been uh, really um, advocating a lot of ways in different forums and in my own workplace. So I think part of it is how we think about the role of mediators. One thing I want people to realize is that if you help others work through conflict situations, and if your general intent is to support them both and not take a side, even if you haven't thought through formally what that means as a neutral whatever, then I suggest you're you're a mediator. Now, of course, depending on, on who you talk to, there is obviously specialized training for different areas of mediation. I have that as a lawyer, as a registered mediator in Indiana. But when I talk about that in the workplace, when I do training for mediators, in-house mediators, HR professionals, institutional equity professionals, managers, whatever, that's not this level of specialization to be a mediator in the legal community when you don't have that certification. But it is a level of training and development to say and confidence building to say you can support others in the world around you in the workplace that you serve to help them mediate so in that context it might be too much to say just anybody could be a mediator because i think part of it's a mindset part of it's good the characteristics of being a neutral in that environment being vulnerable being authentic being approachable connecting with individuals Maybe not everyone feels they can do that or would want to do that, or frankly there's some who just will not do that. But broadly stated, I just think a lot of us in a lot of roles across the institution can fulfill that kind of mediator uh, role in some way to help others work through the conflict situation. So I don't know if I have missed part of that question, but I think that's a big part of it is simply how we think about what a mediator is and can do in the context of the workplace, the context of the daily life of your workplace and who you work with, you, whoever you are, can more effectively help others address their conflict situations in, in different contexts. And I may miss part of the question thinking about that, but broadly stated, that's how I feel. And that's what that article is all about.
1: I like that. I think people need to be a little bit more open minded that they might be a mediator and not even know it. I know we've talked about this before, but uh, before we got on air, Mike and I were saying it's not meditation; it's mediation. Wait, <laughs> <So. Right.
2: laughs> well, you, you'd be surprised that I. Uh, so I teach this as well, and uh, I get papers, and obviously they're not spell checking because they they do that often. Is uh, they don't spell check and you know meditate and things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me, in all seriousness, though, let me do say there are mediators who also um, encourage. Meditation, and there's an aspect of the role of mediator being someone who connects with people who's centered. I should do more of it myself. So, <laughs> full disclosure, but not to minimize that connection yeah. in some way. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it ties in together then. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and I had a discussion a few months ago, and you mentioned, I'm not sure exactly how you phrased it, but you said if a situation gets to the point of the grievance stage, it's almost too late. You suggest in your recent article on strategies for avoiding employee grievances and discipline. When do conflicts actually go to the grievance stage? I guess I want to know a little bit more what the grievance stage actually is and how can parties avoid getting to this point? Because obviously it doesn't sound like it's a good point to be at.
2: Maybe a little bit of that last comment first in that in terms of that article, in terms of sort of my mindset about it and really talking to many professionals the idea of going to a grievance stage, or again, the, the article that I wrote was actually also the idea of, as a supervisor, going to a discipline phase. So when I say it's too late, because that's a formal process, and it's almost like a circle the wagons kind of approach at that point, that the opportunity often for conversation and talking through it more effectively is lost, because people become entrenched in their viewpoint. I'm so frustrated with this employee that now I'm going to HR, I need to file this discipline. I'm so frustrated with my supervisor. I'm so frustrated with a coworker that talking does no good anymore, so I have no choice but to file a grievance. So that's the mindset. And once we're at that stage, these deeper conversations are are lost. Now, in in the actual stage of it, I mean, the thing is, HR professionals I work with have have a good approach as they think about this. Someone would come to them in terms of stages would be, lower level grievance where it's just the supervisor can respond and maybe that resolves it. The next stage might be HR and then a stage after that might be the leader of that department, whatever. Again, every every process can be different. By the way, some stages will have built in to step away from the formal process to do something like mediation. Ultimately, the highest stage is often, internally at least, is often a formal arbitration. So again, there's all these steps you go through and You go through it because you're, you were unsuccessful or unsatisfied with the stage prior, but the more it escalates again, the more the wagon circle kind of thing. But when I have worked with HR, for example, when I do mediation training, when I do the work in diversity areas, but when talking to many colleagues around this, the mindset really is someone has come to our office. If you're HR and presented a concerns feel they want to file a grievance and more and more it's about, well, let's see if there's some other opportunity here let's see if there's some way we can talk this through. You have your right to file a grievance, or certainly you have the authority as a supervisor to do your discipline, but let's see if there's some other way we can address this. So I've been at this many years, now 10, 15, 20 years ago, it seemed often it was sort of a knee jerk. Uh, I have a grievance, I'd like to file a grievance, well, here's your form. Or I want to do discipline, well, here's the process for doing that, and we handle it that way. I feel things have changed significantly over time, where it's simply often employees or supervisors aren't always aware of some other opportunity to address it. And when they become aware of it, they become relieved. I really didn't want a discipline, but I didn't see I had a choice. Now hearing from HR or from another process that we can mediate, we can talk it through, get coaching, education, whatever. Same with the employee. I didn't necessarily want to do this, but I felt like I had a choice because we don't have good mechanisms for talking about it. Now, with some external support, such as human resources, an ombuds, or someone like me who does a conflict resolution office uh, sort of thing, that's a relief. Those messages about opportunities to avoid it are important because some aren't aware that they have those options and can move to some more productive approach versus a formal approach of filing grievance or discipline.
0: Thanks, Dan. That's That's a, a wonderfully insightful bit of information it kind of sparked a spontaneous question for me, which is, it would seem to me that over the past 10 to 15 years, the question of equity and in, in conflict resolution seems to have really taken more of a front and center part to the approach. Have these additional avenues for conflict resolution provided more avenues for more equitable solutions in your opinion?
2: Broadly, yes. I think for the most part that the former process is about the formality of the institution needs to know and wants oversight and wants control. So let's just be honest, wants control over these issues. Again, that doesn't go away. Legal counsel has a concern, of course, as we move forward. But institutions have also recognized the need for greater support for employees, a more comfortable environment, belonging, all those sort of conversations. So I think many have come to the understanding that alternate avenues of addressing conflict situations is going to be important one thing that that i know since i work in the diversity area is there are plenty of individuals employees faculty what have you who will go to the diversity office or will go to other avenues they're doing it they're seeking out support and knowing that hr is available or or actually in the faculty world knowing that the provost office in terms of their academic unit that handles these issues sometimes it's not traditionally hr they know that's there, but they also know I know what's going to happen if I do that. It's going to be this formal process. It's going to escalate. It's going to not work out well for me. I think that HR and other uh, you know formal avenues such as the provost's office are fully aware, are becoming more and more aware that employees have choices and will make their choices to get their needs addressed, and so we might as well work with that versus be critical of it. That this idea of control and oversight. Now it's important, There's, there, we wanna understand and be supportive, want, want people to know that from that perspective, yes, we, we are protecting institution, but in protecting institution, that means helping you as an employee to work through your situation. So what I'm seeing more and more of is simply those offices embracing more these solutions and other offices such as the diversity office, such as an ombuds, such as like a conflict resolution sort of program that I do, to find partners in this and where it doesn't have to be in the formal process because it's a liability issue or an escalating issue to a potential lawsuit, whatever, then by all means de-escalating informal processes, understanding that happens and that HR doesn't need to know all that necessarily. If it's just a matter of just resolving a conflict so that HR doesn't have to deal with it in the future, they're more than happy to embrace it. And so I've seen that as a change. Maybe a final comment in terms of the issue of the equity and diversity. I mean, I, I've definitely seen this in terms of underrepresented groups that I think we, there needs to be a change uh, or or further development in terms of how HR looks at themselves, how they look at their own diversity mindsets and equity mindsets develop, continue to develop in that area. I know certainly Coupa HR, Sherm certainly embraces that more and more in terms of HR development because... There are plenty of uh, underrepresented individuals from underrepresented groups who are running to these other offices for support because inherently just don't feel that trust in HR. It doesn't have to be that way, but uh, I think there's some change in culture and understanding so that we can move to a more organic approach to this that, that HR can embrace as much as anybody else. So
1: I have a question. I guess it's similar to more of a higher ed careers questions, but you said that you have been you know, promoting and doing this work for a while. Where does your passion come from in dealing with this type of work?
2: Well, I, I suppose it starts with how I felt treated. <laughs> um, you know, some of the experiences I've gone through in terms of why, what, you know, that uh, I felt <clears throat> treated in, in an un- inequitable fashion. Now, as a white man, that's—I don't know what that says, but uh, certainly I, 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 I've had my own rough patches as an employee in different ways. That was prior to going to law school, but going to law school further enforced the idea that it's equity and justice and those things that drove me. And, and it led to work in an equal opportunity initially, you know, discrimination kind of issues. But I, I think that's a lot of it is just seeing that there's a lot of struggle that employees have. We all, you know, workplaces are at times can be chaotic places. And what's driving that whole idea of being a mediator or being a support, being a facilitator, or a bridge builder is that, If we feel we're in a place to help others in the moment where people work, why shouldn't we do that? And uh, I think that drives a lot of it is simply my greatest passions are about, yes, mediating, but it's also developing others to be these kind of uh, facilitators, uh, bridge builders, what have you. And that at the place where it's happening versus more formal processes, you know, going to HR is where the need is right then and there. And uh, if I can help not only me seeing that, but help others be those radars, those attentive individuals, those supportive individuals. I, I just think that's, that can be world-changing in small places, but to, to the question. That's what a, lot of my, what a lot of my drive is these days.
1: So, Well, thank you for the work that you do. There's like a quote out there, small things can make a big difference.
0: Or right. Yeah. On a final note, how do you think our audience should think about conflicts in their own lives, whether professional or personal?
2: I think it's to embrace that there is conflict and that it means opportunity for learning and growth. And I, I think a big part of the message about conflict, many of us, and I'll start with myself, want to avoid conflict, feel negative about it. But I think the reason is, is it's not so much that we have conflict, but it's how it's managed. It's the mindsets around it. In fact, society, how they look at it is a very adversarial process. But if we really get down to these issues around the conflict we're having with colleagues and coworkers and things like that. There's learning opportunity, there's growth opportunities, there's synergy, there's coming to the other side of something better, connecting better with colleagues and what have you. That doesn't say all conflicts are that way, some are very negative, and we can obviously be put against some very difficult situations, difficult individuals who won't change. But nonetheless, if we see that it can be empowering, if we approach it appropriately, We can grow from it, learn from it. Even those most difficult situations, we're better for it. So the last thing I would want people to do is to avoid it, walk away from it, or to blow up because of it, you know, just get angry about it versus approaching it, have the first mindset that I can work through this, I can develop, I can get skills and see the opportunity here versus rejecting it. So those are some of the broad things that I would want people to see in terms of there's opportunity, take it and
0: learn from it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for spending time with us today. And I'd remind folks out there who are listening, if you have any questions for Dan, please feel free to email us at podcast at higheredjobs.com or tweet us at higher ed jobs. Or if you have any question for us or would like to see us cover a topic, please feel free to contact us. Thanks, Dan, for being with us today. We really enjoyed our time. Likewise. Thanks so much.